So we're going to begin a little series of studies this morning on a new theme for the fall season, and I'm titling this series, Seeking Shalom. Seeking Shalom. Let me give you just a tiny little bit of the backstory as to why this theme has been on my heart. And actually, uh, it goes back about, oh, almost two years now uh, to the fall of 2016 when, uh, was that two years ago? My goodness. When my wife and I were uh, blessed to be able to travel to Israel to celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary. And uh, lots of great stories and experiences that came out of that journey. It was an incredible uh, experience, kind of a once-in-a-lifetime thing, although maybe I'm hoping and praying and dreaming that it won't just be once in a lifetime. But nevertheless, whether we go back or not, one of the things that I found so striking and so intriguing about visiting Israel was the common use of the word shalom. Now, maybe you know this, right? That in Hebrew, the word shalom is the word used for both hello and goodbye. And so, you know, there's this uh, standing joke that the Jewish people never know whether they're coming or going because... um, But what I want you to understand, though, is not only is the word shalom used for hello and goodbye, but its use in those two contexts and beyond is the pronouncement of a blessing on those to whom it's spoken. Right? So when we greet one another, we might say, hello, you know, my name is so-and-so, how are you? But when the Jewish people greet one another with the word shalom, it's really as if they're not just saying hello. What they're really saying is, I wish you God's best. I want for you. God's best. I hope for you and pray for you that you would experience more and more of God's best for you. Isn't that cool? Isn't that a powerful way to think about saying hello and goodbye to every person you interact with? And so even the question, right, how are you? How are you doing? Such a common, you know, sort of courtesy that we ask one another when we interact. Well, how are you? What's, you know, what's going on in your life? For the Hebrew person, the phrase would be, are you at shalom? Are you experiencing shalom? Not how are you, but are you well? How is your well-being? Are you experiencing the shalom that God has in mind for you? So this theme of shalom is huge. It's, it's got great significance far beyond simple hello or goodbye. And it's a biblical theme that's used and referred to and described in numerous ways, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So there's a lot here for us to explore, and I'm excited to dig in on that theme with you over the next few months. We'll talk more in just a short time about um, the essence of what shalom is by way of introduction to the theme here. But I thought actually, before we do that, that I'd just share an illustration with you this morning. Because uh, it's, it's always helpful, I think, to grab hold of a story of someone who was in uh, one particular type of life experience and then saw it change and uh, interacted with God in such a way that, that they went from uh, a place of turmoil a place of disruption, a place of difficulty, to a place of peace, or at least relative peace, if not perfect peace. So I want to tell you this morning about the story of a, a pretty famous man now. Uh, perhaps you're familiar with him if you've read the book about him or seen the movie. Uh, his name's Louis Zamperini, right? And perhaps you've read the book Unbroken uh, by Laura Hildebrand. Uh, there was a movie that was made from the book about Louis's life. And in fact, coincidentally or not, um, the, the second part of that movie called The Path to Redemption comes out this Friday. So if you're interested in more about the story of Louis Zamperini and particularly his journey to faith after he escaped um, his captivity during World War II at the hands of the, the Japanese, um, it's an incredible story. And uh, Path to Redemption, which comes out this Friday, um, I trust will be a pretty powerful experience 
to see and to hear the story of how God changed Louis's life. Now, what I want you to do with me now is I'm not going to show you a movie trailer, but Lord willing, if we can get it to work here without uh, technical difficulty, I want to show you just a, a really short clip from an interview that was done with Louis Zamperini a few years ago before he went home to be with the Lord. No? Let's see if it works. Okay. All right, well, then I'll tell you the story, right? So you can go to the, um, the, the website if you'd like. It's CBN uh, has an interview with him, and we weren't sure if it was going to work for us this morning. But um, what you'll see in the interview with Louis is that he tells the story in response to the questions of an interviewer, um, not only of how he escaped from his captivity in Japan uh, at the end of World War II, but he returned home to find right, that the, the peace that had come between the United States and Japan at the end of World War II did not necessarily bring him personal peace. He was a man living in turmoil. And specifically, he was plagued by nightmares of what had happened during his captivity, uh, the incredible torture that he'd experienced at the, hap- uh, at the hands of his Japanese captors, and then the bitterness and the, the unforgiveness that racked him uh, because of that experience. This lack of peace then in turn led to alcohol abuse and to a troubled marriage, and uh, Louis found himself at the end of his rope not knowing what to do. He'd been an Olympian, an Olympic runner, at the 1936 Games in Berlin, competing in the 5,000 meters. You'd think, you know, at one point, on top of the world. And yet, uh, later, he finds himself at the end of his rope. Until his wife invites him one evening to attend with her a Billy Graham crusade. And if you're not familiar with the story, uh, I'll let the movie tell it from there on out. But uh, in short, suffice it to say that, that Louis discovered that night that God had something to offer him, and he desperately needed it. It was, of course, uh, what we often and commonly refer to as salvation. But another way to say it, another way to describe it, is that Louis discovered the true source of peace in life. Louis discovered that God's grace and peace come to us only through faith in Jesus Christ. And that discovery literally changed his life and radically changed his life. So what do I mean by this word shalom? I've said it several times now. You've heard me repeat it. I inserted it when you expected me to say peace. I inserted it into the scripture passages that we read this morning. What does it mean? Let's start at square one here this morning with a basic definition that I hope will set the table for a rich study of this theme and numerous other biblical references over the next few months. Here's what I understand to be true about the definition of shalom. Shalom, as we've seen reflected in these two references we're looking at this morning, shalom is the substance of how God wants to bless his people, and it's the essence of well-being from God's perspective. Think about that. The essence of well-being from God's perspective. That's what shalom amounts to. So look with me for a moment at these two references that I've chosen for us to focus on and notice how they both use the English word peace to describe what God wants his people to experience. First, in Numbers 6, 26, uh, the blessing of Aaron closes with this phrase, uh, the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. It's on the end, right, of these three verses, the blessing of Aaron that was to be spoken not just by Aaron, but by all the Levitical priests over the people of Israel. 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And what's remarkable, I think, about that phrase, about that prayer, about that blessing, is that it has been spoken from the time of Aaron down through the ages for about 4,000 years now by priests and pastors over the people of God. I myself have used it frequently on Sundays, uh, particularly as we close our time together on Sunday mornings. It's a powerful word of blessing that we are commanded to speak over one another. And then likewise, I hope you've noticed already, there's a point of connection here. There's a point of contact between these two references, and it has to do with this theme of shalom. So Paul then, in 2 Thessalonians 3.16, closes out his letter to the Thessalonians with a similar blessing. And, you know, I find it sad that this verse isn't quite as popular as John 3.16, but maybe it should be. Because listen to these words, listen to this blessing, and think about how powerful this really is. Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace, that is shalom, at all times and in every way. Anybody like to sign up for that? Anybody need a little more of that? At all times and in every way? The Lord be with all of you. So, I've already mentioned, of course, the most basic commonality between these two distinct references is found in the word peace. Both references bring that word to our attention. In the original language of the Old Testament, Hebrew, uh, which was used in Numbers chapter 6 there, uh, this was the word shalom. It's translated into English as peace. While Paul's writing in 2 Thessalonians would have been written in Greek, using a parallel term, irene, which is the Greek word for translated peace, but it's really the equivalent of shalom. And here's the, here's the thing that I really want you to be aware of, first and foremost this morning. The word peace is about the best we can do, but it's really a terrible translation. It does not capture the essence of what shalom includes. Shalom is a much broader concept than the way that we typically think about peace. But there's no good English equivalent or no better English equivalent uh, that translators felt comfortable with. Uh, I I think, personally, if you were to ask me, that there, there might be a better translation, although I don't know why it hasn't caught on with scholars, but um, as you study the word shalom and the concept of shalom, what you begin to realize is that, that both these words, shalom in Hebrew and erene in Greek, both of them refer more broadly to what might be called our wellness or well-being. Our well-being. And that, of course, has become a very popular concept um, over the last several years here in our own country, if not around the world. Everybody wants personal wellness, And everybody has something to offer you that might increase your personal wellness. But guess what? Every gimmick, every product, every experience the world has to offer cannot and will not provide you with the kind of shalom that God himself has to offer you. So this insight then brings us to recognize Uh, something else in common between these two biblical references in number 6 and in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Both of them, perhaps you've noticed, are blessings that are extended from one person to another. They're spoken from one person to another, or in Paul's case, I guess you'd say written as well. In other words, both of them reflect... God's desire for us to wish one another and pray for one another and speak to one another well-being, wellness. Do you know what a blessing is? Right? We commonly say or hear it said, God bless America. Frankly, I think we should ask him to bless the whole world, not just our own nation. 
But we all want, right, to experience the blessing of God. And we think, we, un- we understand that it's a good thing when other people want to bless us somehow. Maybe it'd be helpful to just back up here a quick a moment and, and explain to you that a blessing includes many dynamics. In fact, there was a great book about this written uh, a decade or so ago um, by Gary Smalley and John Trent, I believe, called The Blessing. But um, specifically, what I'd like you to understand with me is that for a blessing to be experienced, it has to be spoken. It is a positive articulation for someone else's future. Right? It's, it's envisioning a good future for someone you care about and then speaking it out. That's one dynamic of what constitutes a blessing. So in each case here, both in number six and in Second Thessalonians 3, what we see is the articulation of a blessing. And the substance of the blessing in both cases is shalom, the experience of shalom. It's the very essence of what we would want someone else to experience if we wish them well. So in the first case, the blessing of shalom was to be spoken by the Levitical priests over the people to whom they ministered. And those lines became known then as the, the blessing of Aaron, the Aaronic blessing. And as I said, they've been repeated and spoken over people just as God instructed, instructed for, for nearly 4,000 years now. In the second case, we have the Apostle Paul writing a similar blessing over the church at Thessalonica to whom this letter was originally sent. But by extension, of course, we realize and we recognize that these words have become a blessing to all who read them. They apply to us just as well as they applied to the church in Thessalonica. And in each case then, shalom is being extended from one person to another as a blessing. And they're doing it in response to God's directive. So this is not just one person's wish for another. This is an act of obedience to the Lord and an act of partnership with the Lord to speak the shalom of God over another person, to another person, is to partner with God in impartation of shalom. So then this, I think, leads us to a secondary question and insight. How and why would God want his people to experience more and more of the fullness of shalom? Well, again, uh, I think some of the answer to that question is implied in these two references that are under our consideration this morning. I want you to think about this. Here's a second takeaway for you this morning. God is the source of our shalom because God himself is shalom. Think about that. God is the source of our shalom because God himself is shalom. There's an old adage, maybe you've heard it before, right? You can't give away what you don't have. You can't give away what you don't have. And that phrase applies here and helps us understand that God couldn't possibly provide people like us with shalom or people like Louis Zamperini. He couldn't possibly provide us with shalom if it wasn't his to give, if he didn't have it to begin with. And in this case, both Moses and Paul say it well. Right? Look closely at what they're saying, and you'll see the source of shalom is the Lord himself. The ironic blessing recorded by Moses tells us that shalom comes when? With the turning of God's face toward us. When God turns his face toward you, you experience his shalom. And Paul's words follow that up with an even more explicit statement, now may the Lord of peace, of shalom, 
give you shalom in every way. May the Lord of shalom give you shalom. Do you see what Paul's saying here about the significance of where this experience comes from? Did you hear the title that Paul used there? And he's talking, really, let's be honest, about Jesus. He's referring to Jesus, and he identifies Jesus specifically as the Lord of peace or the Lord of shalom. So so this means, really, that Jesus is the master of shalom. He's in charge of it. It's his to give as he sees fit. Not only did he embody shalom perfectly so that it characterized his own life, but it also comes from him whenever people experience it. So it's one of the critical aspects then of Christ-likeness. Anybody want to be more like Jesus? Right? This is, the, this is the essence of what we're aiming for, what we're seeking, what we want God to do in our lives here and now on this side of heaven. We're meant to be growing in Christ-likeness. And one of the most important aspects of Christ-likeness is shalom. It marked and defined the life of Jesus. In fact, think about this with me. Think about this. This is so deep and so profound. Did you know that Jesus was a completely non-anxious presence and person in every circumstance? He was always at perfect peace. There was never a moment in his life where he was anxious or afraid. Now, of course, when he was crying out to God in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, you know, I really don't want to go to the cross, but I will if you want me to, he understood. I I, I don't know if you'd call it fear. I think you'd call it a deep sense of understanding regarding what lay before him. And he wanted to know, honestly, if there was any other way. And there wasn't. But frankly, what I'm saying is that even in that moment, right, the peace of God was with him. The shalom that we're talking about marked Jesus' life from beginning to end. So no matter what was swirling around him, even with people aiming to take his life before it was time, he was filled and characterized by complete and perfect shalom every moment of every day. His well-being was never threatened or compromised in any way. And that means for us, then, that if the aim of following Jesus is to grow in Christ-likeness, shalom should be something we, we truly desire to experience more and more of. So how do we do that? How do we do that? What is this, how does this work? Well, there's a long answer to that question and a short answer. I'll leave the long answer uh, to the, the weeks to come as we unpack this theme in greater depth. But let me share with you just for now a short answer to that question. The short answer is that we have to practice being shalom seekers and shalom makers. Shalom comes from God, as we've already talked about. He's the source of it. But we have to seek him for it. And we have to do the things that will enable us to receive it from him. There are practices that help us receive the shalom that God wants to offer us. So true shalom, then, in the fullest biblical sense of the word, cannot simply be discovered or experienced apart from God's provision. This is really critical. It can't be self-generated. It can't be manufactured by humans. We can't just sort of think, I'm going to buckle up and get me some shalom. It can only be found and received from the one Lord who has it to give. He's the source. He's the provider. He's the one and only one from whom shalom is imparted to people like us. So for our part then, seeking more shalom amounts to seeking more of him, more of the Father, more of the Son, and more of 
the Holy Spirit. So this isn't just about Jesus. The character and the mindset of all three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are essentially defined by the word shalom. God is perfectly well at all times. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, this is an interesting little side note, one of the names of God was actually the Lord is peace. The Lord is shalom. Think about that. Not the Lord of peace, as Paul says it, but the Lord is peace. It's his very essence. This name was first coined by Gideon, as we read in Judges 6.24, after he encountered the angel of the Lord face to face and was called into service to lead the Israelites against the Midianites. Great little story if you want to go back and take a look at it. And then, of course, we know from Paul's letter to the Galatians, right, that peace or shalom is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So what I'm saying really is that it's, it's definitive. It's exemplary uh, in, in both the, the, the character and the essence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it comes from all three. Now, as we think about this, uh, I'm reminded of another series of scripture references, particularly about Jesus, that talk about the way that he brought shalom, spoke shalom over the lives of his followers. And so as you're thinking about this, this notion that God is the source of this experience in our lives, let me just Uh, help you a little bit to think about that by putting it, um, framing, framing your expectation of that experience with the words of Jesus himself. Listen closely to what Jesus said to his disciples on the night before he went to the cross and then again when he first appeared to them after he rose from the dead. Have you ever noticed that shalom ties those two experiences, those two moments in Jesus' life together like bookends. John 14, 27, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus said to his disciples, Shalom I leave with you. My shalom I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. John 16, 33, same discussion, just a few Hours later, perhaps. I've told you these things so that in me you may have shalom. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So those are the two references that Jesus speaks regarding this word before he goes to the cross. He goes, suffers, dies, is buried, three days later rises from the dead. And do you know what the first word out of his mouth was when he appeared to the disciples? Yeah, it was shalom. John 20, verse 19, Jesus appears to his disciples on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, shalom be with you. Shalom be with you. Isn't that cool? And he didn't just say it once. He repeated it multiple times. So you keep reading down in the same chapter and you'll come across this three times in the matter of just a few paragraphs. John 20, 21. Again, Jesus said, Shalom be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then John 20, 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Shalom be with you. So this series of references underscores the reality that that I've been describing for you, right? Quite clearly, they show us and speak to us that Shalom comes from and through Jesus. There's no other way to get it. 
Just as he said this to each one of his original followers, he would now say to you and I, my shalom I leave with you. My shalom I give you. Shalom be with you. And honestly, some of us really need to hear those words, don't we? And receive them. So that brings me then to one last insight here that I'd like to close with this morning. I hinted at this earlier, but let me just spell it out a little bit more clearly now. I want you to understand the multifaceted nature of this concept. Understand with me that the shalom God offers us is a multifaceted experience that we have to consistently seek in every area of our lives. So with the few moments we have left, consider one last insight regarding shalom from Paul's words in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Listen again to these words and notice what he says descriptively about the peace that the Lord of peace has to offer us. He says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace Are you ready for this? At all times and in every way. Help me out here. Why don't you say that with me? Let's read that phrase together. At all times and in every way. Isn't that good? That's the shalom that God has in mind for us and that he wants to bless us with at all times and in every way. So how would you like to experience God's shalom at all times and in every way? Does that sound good? Doesn't that sound inviting, appealing? Personally, it does for me. I mean, let's be honest, right? Most of us don't walk in that reality all the time. There's a gap here, between where we are now and where we want to be, where we could be and perhaps should be. There's a gap. And our challenge, right, is to close the gap, to make it smaller so that we're more and more experiencing the shalom that God offers us at all times and in every way. So, We have to consistently seek. We have to routinely seek shalom. We have to persistently seek shalom. When the challenges of life press in on us, shalom can seem like a very fleeting experience. It somehow disappears rather quickly, doesn't it? It can seem like an unattainable ideal, pie in the sky. But in those moments when we encounter the brokenness of life, the brokenness of the world, the brokenness of the relationships we're in, it's in that moment that we most need to ask for and seek shalom. It's in those moments when we truly have to trust God to meet us and provide for us what we can't find within ourselves. So with these words... Paul is praying that this shalom or well-being that God wants to bless us with would be experienced at all times and in every way. I think that's so beautiful, right? Notice what he's not praying. Think about what he didn't say. He didn't say, okay, I pray for you that you just be a little bit more patient until you get to heaven. Right? Right? Do you understand the significance of what he's saying, what he's praying here? This means, this prayer means that in all of the many multifaceted ways that shalom is available to us, and in the midst of every stressful moment that we encounter, God wants us to know and experience more of his shalom. Here and now. Not, right, exactly. The kingdom of God is at hand. And maybe you remember what Paul said about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is 
righteousness, peace, shalom, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Right, so the gap that I was talking about a few moments ago is the gap really between the, the, the experience that we're in now and the not yet of the kingdom that's before us, right? In one sense, we could say, and we should recognize the reality that when we get to heaven, everything will be made right. Everything wrong with the world will be made right again. And well-being will be universally experienced in every good and perfect way that it's available to us. So yes, our eyes are fixed on heaven. Yes, that is where we're headed. That is where all of human history is headed. And when we get to heaven, shalom will be the definitive experience, the definitive word that describes what heaven is all about. But in the meantime, we're not just supposed to kind of sit here and wait and put up with all the junk that that plagues our lives. We're supposed to seek shalom so that we could experience more of it so that heaven would come to earth. Listen to this prophetic promise. If you need some words of encouragement, if you need a promise to grab hold of, here's one from Isaiah 26.3. Isaiah writes, You, that's God, will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast, because they trust in you. Think about that. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. So the implication, again, is that shalom can be experienced more and more. But there is a part we have to play. We receive it from God. He's the one that offers it to us. He's the source But we have to keep our minds steadfast, trusting in him to provide it. Now, finally, let me add one other thought here about the complexity and the depth of shalom that I hope will serve as a a sneak preview or an appetizer of where we're headed on this theme over the weeks to come. What I want you to appreciate is that There is a lot here for us to dig into on this theme. The shalom that God wants to bless us with is a broad and multifaceted reality for us to experience. As I research this topic, I've picked up a few different books on the theme. I mean, people have written literally entire books on the theme of shalom. There's lots to say and lots to learn when it comes to this theme. But I also came across a fairly short article written by a really popular uh, both writer and preacher named Timothy Keller. And here's, I I want you to listen closely to just one sentence from this article by Timothy Keller about the nature of shalom. Listen to what he said. In his article titled Shalom, Keller explains that the concept of shalom is often oversimplified by use of the word peace. And, And here's what he writes. Shalom, experienced, is multidimensional, complete well-being. Physical, psychological, social, and spiritual. It flows from all of one's relationships being put right with God, with oneself, and with others. Let me say that again because there's a lot there to chew on. This is an incredible description of shalom. Shalom experienced is multidimensional, complete well-being, physical, psychological, social, and spiritual. It flows from all of one's relationships being put right with God, with oneself, and with others. Sound good yet? Think about that statement and consider how it applies to your own experience of life right now. As we'll discover more and more over the weeks to come, part of shalom 
is physical. Physical. In other words, it involves and includes health. It includes safety. It includes rest. And in many respects, it even includes a measure of prosperity, having what you need. Another part of shalom is psychological well-being, meaning your thoughts and your emotions are properly focused and at peace. Another part of shalom is social. It's being in right relationship with others. It's not being consumed with anger or bitterness or frustration. And yet another part of shalom is spiritual. So Keller identifies these four different areas of life that are common to all of us. Physical, psychological, relational or social, and spiritual. It's the state of being where you are at peace with God and where God's spirit is rightly governing your spirit. That's the spiritual realm. Then, as he explains, shalom touches and affects all of our relationships. As he says it, um, it flows from all of one's relationships being put right. Our relationship with God, first and foremost, then our own internal relationship with ourselves, all the parts and pieces of who we are being together and united. And then finally, it has to do with how we relate to others. Probably, I'd say, starting with our own family and then moving out from there into our church family and from there into the world around us. So by way of practical application then, here's a great idea. Here's a tip for you. What if you were to take a little inventory of your life with this simple question in mind? Where am I currently lacking shalom? Where is my well-being presently compromised? And how then should I seek the shalom that God wants for me in that area where it's presently lacking? And you could spend a lot of time just meditating on the answers to those questions before the Lord. And I think that that would be incredibly fruitful for each one of us to spend some time on. According to Scripture, each one of us have a body, a soul, including right our, our mind, our will, and our emotions, and a spirit. And each one of us are also then in relationship with others in the world around us who have the same thing, body, soul, and spirit. So there's this constant interaction between the parts of who we are, body, soul, and spirit, and the parts of who others are, body, soul, and spirit. God's desire, God's wish, God's will, God's blessing for you is that his shalom would seep into every part of who you are, every relationship. Imagine that. Imagine that. Friends, as we explore this theme together over the next few months, I hope and pray that this process of learning together and and the process of self-examination that I've just described will, will truly help each one of us experience more of the shalom that God has in mind for us. Let's pray. Lord, as I think about this concept or this theme and all that is included in it and with it, it feels to me sort of like uh, the table's been set and there's a great banquet before us. And you're inviting us to dig in. Lord, I hope and pray that that will be true. That over the weeks to come, 
what we've begun to think about and learn about and study together this morning would become compelling to us in new and deeper ways. And that each one of us, Lord, would long to experience more and more of this reality, this biblical reality called shalom. We recognize the gap in our lives, Lord. We recognize the the gap that needs to be closed between where we are and where we could be, where you're inviting us to be. We recognize the gap between where this world is and where it will be when heaven fully comes. But in the meantime, Lord, here and now, we hear you. We hear your words of invitation. We hear you saying, my peace I give to you. Would you help us, Lord, to receive it? And so, Lord, right now, we just bring before you each and every part of who we are as people, men and women of God, body, soul, and spirit, each and every part of who you've made us to be and the kind of life that you've invited us to experience. We bring before you, Lord, every every broken part, every area of life, Lord, where we are not experiencing this reality that we've heard described this morning. We need your help. We need you to be our provider. We need you to be the source. We need you to take us deeper, Lord, into this life of shalom that you've that you've invited us to. So here's what I'm going to invite you to do. You know, it can be almost overwhelming, I think, if you're aware of a lot of different areas where you're not experiencing the shalom that, that God is inviting you to. I'm just going to invite you right now, encourage you right in this moment to, to pick one. Just pick one thing in your life, one area of your existence, your being, that's not completely well right now. Maybe it's one relationship or maybe it's just something within you that you know is not what or where it should be. One aspect of your life where you're not experiencing the well-being that God's offering you. Which one area he wants to focus on first? And then I'm going to ask you, when you've thought of something, and you're ready to just offer that to the Lord and invite his shalom into that part of your life, I'm going to ask you to stand. Now, I don't mean to do anything, you know, that might come off as hokey. It's really just symbolic. I'm going to ask you, if you're standing before the Lord, before his throne of grace, recognizing your need for more of the shalom that he's offering you and wants to bless you with, would you just open your hands before him and imagine, imagine for a moment that one part of your life that you've identified as an area of need Imagine you could hold it in your hands and offer it to the Lord. 
Jesus, we stand before you, each one of us, Lord, with something in mind that figuratively and spiritually has been in our hands. And we decide here and now, Lord, to place it in your hands. We determine, Lord, to seek your shalom in this one area of life where we know we need it. We give to you, Lord, this part of who we are, where we are not experiencing the well-being that, you believe, that we believe that you intend for us and desire for us. God, would you take this? And would you show us, Lord, your provision? Show us your goodness. Show us your grace. Show us your power. Let your spirit move, God, to release and impart shalom. We recognize our need. We recognize our absolute dependence on your provision. We cannot manufacture this on our own, Lord. So Jesus, I pray even now, Lord, that by your spirit, you would come around and just touch each person right at the point of need that they've identified, Lord. And God, that you would take from our hands what we've held on to and tried, tried to fix apart from you. Jesus, would you place your shalom in our hands here and now this morning? God, I pray for a, an impartation from the Holy Spirit, God, of this experience that we've read about and talked about this morning. Just a little taste, God. We're not asking for the whole thing right in this moment, but God, we sure would love to have a little bit more of it. Thank you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and minister to us. Come and touch us. Come and release your peace over each one of our lives. Lord.